It's 14 past eight on breakfast. Well, you might not be aware of it, but some of us have been taking part in randomised trials as we go about our everyday life. This is especially so on social media, but not only on social media. Randomised research is carried out on us every day by political parties, supermarkets and search engines to improve existing services and to create new ones. And throughout history, randomised tests have been used for everything, from finding a cure to scurvy to discovering what policies improve, say, literacy rates. Andrew Lee is the Shadow Assistant Treasurer. He's also a former professor of economics at the ANU. His new book is called Randomistas, How Radical Researchers Changed Our World. Andrew Lee, welcome back to RM Breakfast. Thanks, Fran. Great to be with you. So what's a randomista? A randomister is somebody who conducts randomised trials. In other words, toss a coin and randomly allocate people to the treatment group or the control group. That's how we test our new pharmaceuticals. Uh, if you want to get a drug on the uh, PBS, you basically need to put it through a randomised trial. Um, but increasingly, they're being applied in a host of different areas. So if you're using the Google homepage, you're probably participating in randomised experiments. The particular shade of blue Google users was produced through a randomised trial. Amazon is carrying out randomised exper experiments. And one researcher said that uh, every pixel on the Amazon homepage has had to justify its existence through a, a randomised trial. So, so just know? before we go any further, let's, let's narrow down what you mean by a randomised trial. What is it? So you, uh, you, let's take a very simple example. We want to know whether or not having, getting more sleep help makes you happier. You might take 200 people, toss a coin, 100 people will get heads, 100 people will get tails. Then you ask the heads people to sleep for an extra night and you ask everyone to rate their happiness. And if you found that people for whom the coin came up heads were happier, then you might conclude that a little more snooze helps you lose the blues. Okay. So in the past and traditionally, randomised trials were a technique used by science and medicine in particular? Absolutely. So if we look at the cure for scurvy that uh, was found by a uh, naval scientist called James Lind, uh, who tested uh, a range of uh, remedies of the day, including vinegar, but also the one that we know that works, mm -hmm. citrus, uh, and found very clearly that having assigned these across patients, that those who received citrus did better. Not to say that it was immediately adopted, but within decades, the British Navy uh, had taken, taken on citrus. Uh, and when uh, the British and the French na navies came, came together at the Battle of Trafalgar, uh, Britain did significantly better because they'd managed to uh, crack the, uh, the secret of tackling scurvy through a randomised trial. Having lemon juice on board was all it took? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, so, so we're talking some hundreds of years then? It, uh, you know, it's, I think I think it's about uh, sixty years from Lynn's trial through to the uh, the Battle of Trafalgar, uh, but uh, these things don't get adopted immediately. Uh, so the uh, randomised trial that showed medicine that bloodletting didn't help patients came a little too late for medicine not to name its uh, one of its best journals, The Lancet. Uh, if you uh, look at uh, other trials, they've been very important in terms of showing that things don't work. Uh, Scared Straight, a popular program in uh, America, uh, suggested that if you exposed delinquent teens to uh, life behind bars, uh, that they would be scared onto the straight and narrow. And in fact, turned out to increase crime among children to, who were exposed to it. Uh, there's, uh, there's been randomised trials that uh, underpin the rollout of the polio vaccine, diabetes, uh, contraceptive pill. Uh, but 
of the drugs that come out of the laboratory these days, only about one in 10 of those that look promising actually make it through randomised trials. And randomised trials back when they were first thought of within the scientific world and, and for many years, I mean, I'm, I'm interested that you've written this book about them. Were they controversial? Were there doubters of the theory that you needed them that they'd work? I mean, I know there's questions we can get to about the ethics of them, but in terms of the scientific efficacy and power of them. Absolutely. Before there was evidence-based medicine, there was eminence-based medicine. Uh, doctors were outraged, for example, when the randomisters told them that they were infecting their patients by failing to wash their hands. Uh, they felt very strongly that someone of their status couldn't possibly be doing harm. Uh, the uh, the uh, randomised trials that were uh, have been rolling out recently in the area of surgery uh, have been challenging many of the uh, uh, core beliefs of that discipline, suggesting that operations such as meniscectomies for middle-aged patients, for example, don't produce better better results uh, than a placebo surgery in which the patient is uh, cut open, uh, not operated on, and then sewn back up again. So the the point of them is they minimise biases, as you just said, um, but but they, there are ethical questions, and have always been ethical questions about them, about the notion that there's uh, at least one group within this randomised trial that is not getting what many suggest uh, suspect would be the best help. Is that is that an ongoing debate? Uh, look, it's, cer it's certainly something that every randomised trial needs to confront. Uh, let me give you one of the most confronting for, for me, Fran, and that's the head injury retrieval trial, uh, a randomised trial of the triple O system in Sydney, uh, which for a number of years randomised patients either to the, to the traditional approach of an ambulance and paramedics uh, or a novel approach of the NRMA care flight helicopter uh, and a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is a much more expensive approach, and the randomised trial was looking to see uh, whether the outcomes were better. Now, the patients in that study not only didn't consent, but in most cases were unconscious. But I believe it's it's entirely ethical to carry out a randomised trial in that, that context because these are significant resources we're deploying. And I say this as what, somebody... What was the outcome of that? Uh, <laughs> extraordinarily enough, it was uh, is inco inconclusive because <laughs> uh, the study didn't get didn't get, get enough uh, enough people through it. Uh, so, uh, but but the the principle behind conducting the study, I think, is absolutely sound. And I say this as as somebody whose brother uh, had a serious head injury during the period might well have been uh, been part of the randomised trial. And and thankfully, my brother made a full a full recovery. But I think it was ethical to carry out that randomised trial to work out whether the resources were best deployed in that part of the healthcare system. You're listening to RM Breakfast. Our guest is Andrew Lee, Shadow Assistant Treasurer, former Professor of Economics, and his new book is called Randomistas. Um, one of the contemporary pioneers of randomisation is the US social policy researcher Judith Guerin. In the 60s, she said, researchers knew in theory the power of random assignment. They just didn't believe it would be useful to evaluate real-world social programs and address important policy questions. Now, I guess that's proven to be wrong, but from your research, what are some of the key policy, social policy uh, issues that, um, that randomised trials have, have dealt with and, and had breakthroughs with? Well, Dr. Garon is a, is a fascinating example because she is coming into doing randomisation at a time uh, when the American debate over social policy is at its hottest. Uh, when you've got uh, Ronald Reagan talking about Cadillac driving welfare queens uh, and uh, some, on, some on the left saying that what you needed uh, was just a massive expansion of the existing programs. Uh, and Judith Garon was able to show that in many cases, uh, these programs were producing outcomes that were a little uh, better than the total cost of the program, uh, 
uh, but were far from being magic bullets that some of their advocates had suggested. Uh, she goes up against some uh, some pretty tough op- opposition. Uh, to, uh, in in one study in uh, in Miami, she was uh, accused of uh, treating people like guinea pigs, of conducting research that was akin to uh, pulling the legs off spiders. Uh, but by working through and being absolutely clear that the other methods relied on uh, a lot of statistical fancy footwork and in some cases produced conflicting results, uh, has been able to steadily roll out randomised trials that have built an evidence base in the United States so around, for example, the Earned Income Tax Credit, a massive anti-poverty program that subsidises the wages of low-wage workers. We have trials here on things like lately, income management, cashless welfare, we trial them. Is that, in a sense, some kind of randomised trial or is that different? And should we have had randomised trials on those? I believe we should have. Uh, ad hoc is different from random. Uh, a, uh, a pilot is a study without a control group in many cases. And the reason that medicos have turned so much to randomised trials, Fran, is because they've recognised that it's really important to know what would have happened uh, if the patient hadn't gotten the treatment. Most people who go to the doctor uh, would have gotten better the, ne- the next week regardless of the doctor's visit. So simply to look at how sick you are when you go to the doctor and how sick you are the next week... Uh, doesn't tell you the causal effect right. of going to the going to the doctor. Uh, we get some some really surprising surprising results out of it, and also something you can use in real life. Uh, well, when I have to take a band aid off one of my uh, three sons, I always say that uh, we should take it off fast rather than slow because of the James Cook University study that found that the fast method was less painful than the slow method. <laughs> okay, so you can bring it into real life. But there were some startling um, results from one example in your book was a randomised trial over four hundred villages across India, Indonesia, Mali and Tanzania for sanitation education to reduce open defecation. And the outcome was the result was incredible. The treated villages had taller children because they weren't suffering the stunting effect of faeces-borne diseases. Absolutely. And in developing countries, this is really rolling out on a large scale. Uh, A recent randomised trial of uh, biometric smart cards in Andhra Pradesh in India had a sample size of 19 million people. Uh, There's been studies of the doubling of teacher pay in in Indonesia uh, and a host of studies that are trying to delve into the root causes of corruption. Uh, There's been studies looking at what happens if you provide cash grants to entrepreneurs and some really promising results out of uh, of Nigeria. Nigeria. So the randomisters are hard at work dealing with some of the toughest uh, social disadvantage in developing countries. Uh, the World Bank is a, is a major major funder of this uh, and really moving again away from ideology uh, towards building up that stock of evidence just, and taking a little more modest approach. Just finally, I mean, data collection is the sort of new holy grail here. We have great capacity for it now with our search engines, our social media sites. We know that, um, that Google, for instance, you know, has more data than it could possibly know what to do with, though I'm sure it's working that out. So all this kind of randomised trialling is going on with the data we're giving out every day. Netflix, we know, for instance, presumably the searches, the recommendations it gives to us are based on the data it's collecting. I'm sure they're doing some kind of randomised things. But it was Facebook, an experiment Facebook did uh, in recent times where people were inadvertently part of a a randomised trial that was really quite unnerving um, and quite controversial. Tell us about that. Well, Facebook decided to randomly change the emotional content of its newsfeed, asking the question, if you see more happy happy posts, uh, do you more likely to post happy material? If you see your friends posting more, more sad material, uh, are you, do you go sad yourself? 
then from a psychological standpoint, it produced the quite interesting result that uh, you follow the emotions of your friends. Uh, but they didn't ask people to uh, to consent to it. And, uh, and there was, I think, appropriately enough criticism of Facebook uh, for the emotional manipulation that they, uh, they engaged in. Because people uh, every day didn't know they were part of their experiment and part of having their emotions toyed with. Precisely, uh, and uh, and in that case, I think Facebook very clearly should have uh, should have asked people to uh, opt in to a study, which potentially could have caused harm. I'd put that in a different bucket from a different Facebook study they did, trying to encourage American voters to turn out turn out to uh, vote in the election. I think there it's harder to argue that people were harmed by being encouraged to vote. Okay, uh, but if you're doing something with potential harm, then you should you should ask ask users to opt in, perhaps reward reward them in some way on your platform. Andrew Lee, thank you very much. Thank you, friend. Andrew Lee is Shadow Assistant Treasurer, former Professor of Economics at the ANU, and his new book is called Randomisters, How Radical Researchers Changed Our World, published by Latrobe Press. It's 26 past eight on breakfast.